Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Um, we don't often talk about photography. Well, I suppose we kind of do, but we kind of don't. Um, perhaps what I'm trying to say there is we don't often talk about photography directly on this podcast. We're always talking about the context and the, I suppose, the continual engagement we all have with the medium. But over the last week or so, in fact, over the last couple of weeks, um, I've been looking at portrait photography for a number of specific reasons. But in general, I suppose what I've, I've been doing is kind of reconnecting with my love um, for the medium. And what that really means in, in kind of specific terms is going back in time, sort of going back in time and looking at work and thinking, yeah, what was great about that work and just kind of reflecting on it. And in that process, I suppose also when I talk about the history of portrait photography, I have certain kind of points of which I, I kind of drop into or photographers I use, I suppose, as kind of uh, points at which things perhaps changed or also points at which photographers picked up on what somebody else had done previously. In that sense, I usually start talking about Nadir, which is a, a, a photographer I've spoken about in previous podcasts. But then I, I move very swiftly on to August Sander. And I, feel, I suppose, really, there are very few photographers from that period of time at the beginning of the last century who remain as um, important and influential to photography today in so many different ways. And one of those ways, I suppose, really, and one of the things I, I wanted to talk about this week was that that sense of creating narrative through the choice of who you photograph and, and I suppose, to a certain extent, how and how that uh, aesthetic choice can provide a sense of narrative. Um, but so also can that idea of choosing an interest that people are engaged with, or of course with Sander, trying to bring in this idea of a, a documentation of the people of the century. Of course, over time, that's kind of got refined down. So uh, yeah, I've lost count how many um, photographic projects I've seen. Some stunning and amazing, some perhaps not quite so good, but dealing with that idea of trade, that idea of somebody's profession, and using that as a starting point for a body of portrait work. And of course, you know, for me, the, the, the point to reach after August Sander is Martin Shambi. Um, in fact, his full name, Martin Shambi Jimenez, um, the uh, photographer originally from southern Peru, and one of the first major indigenous Latin American photographers. If you know of his work, you'll know of its beauty and of its strength. But also then if you know of Irving Penn's pictures of different people in trades photographed in the studio and, and also ethnographic groups, um, you would be aware also of the influence of Martin uh, Shambi on Irving Penn. And we can follow that on as to how many photographers have been inspired by Penn's work uh, of trades and of people uh, since then. So there becomes this sort of, I suppose, a kind of a passing of the baton through the years. 
And I can name uh, photographers who I know have created really great work. Uh, David Eustace, for example, a Scottish photographer, um, really inspired by Shambi and Penn to create work. I don't worry why I'm talking about this stuff is that to, uh, perhaps to kind of reconnect all of us with the importance of our medium, the importance of the history of our medium. And the fact that actually everything we're creating has a sense of being informed by something that went before. We're not working in a vacuum. And it always reminds me of the photographer Terence Donovan, who used to say to me when we were talking together about photographers, and I would mention somebody, and he'd always say the same thing. Yeah, but what's he bringing to the party? And I thought, what a, what a really good way of putting it. We all kind of bring our own little thing to the party. But actually what we're doing is we're adding to something that came before. Therefore, that looking back is just so important. That recognition of our influences is also hugely important. I was talking the other day about the photographer uh, Neil McDermott and his um, kind of referencing of Daniel Meadows. Uh, Daniel Meadows' work created in the 1970s um, and then Neil McDermott's work being created now. You can probably tell just in the background that the postman's arrived because next door's dog's gone crazy. I hope that doesn't in, uh, interfere too much with what I'm saying this week. But as I always say in the shed, you get what's going, going on. It's a live situation. Anyway, that's next door's dog. Um, so Neil McDermott and Daniel Meadows. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I suppose really... Where I am this week is going to kind of encourage people to look back. It really is quite shocking, really, how often I hear people saying that either they're not aware of photographers or they can't remember their names. And I always, as regular listeners to the podcast, know I, uh, I often use music as the metaphor. And I always say to people who talk to me like in that way well if you were studying music would it be reasonable to not be aware of the music of i don't know bob dylan the rolling stones kenya west whatever else you want you know to name frank sinatra and so forth of course not you need to know about the beach boys just as the beatles did because that influenced their work and as the rolling stones knew about the great blues singers and as bob dylan references going back everybody's referencing everybody else within the creative arts and therefore that's what we need to do in photography so actually if you think your your knowledge is a little bit lacking try and build on it if you're starting to think actually i used to look at that work but i don't anymore maybe it's time to have another look. It's often said that different people have a voice for radio. There's absolutely no doubt that this week's contributor has, as you're about to hear. Anyway, who is it? Well, it's Roger Steffens. So Roger's an actor, a poet, a broadcaster, a writer, a lecturer, an editor, a reggae archivist, and of course a photographer and he's regarded as one of the world's foremost experts on Bob Marley and the Whalers. 
It was Stephens who first alerted Paul Simon about African music, leading to the recording of the album Graceland. And he has worked with Keith Richards to compile an album of Nyabingi music recorded in the living room of Richards' Jamaican home. Prior to this, Stephens worked in an Army Psychological Operations Unit in Vietnam after being drafted during the war. He was told to photograph his assignments, a request that began a 50-year relationship with the camera that resulted in an extraordinary archive of images that trace his life and times during a pivotal period in American history. Stephens returned from Vietnam to Northern California in the early 1970s, and began to compulsively photograph his daily life and that of his friends. And boy, did he have some friends. John Steinbeck IV, the son of the Grapes of Wrath writer. Sean Flynn, uh, the son of Errol Flynn, also a photographer, great friend of Tim Page's, both of whom had reported from Vietnam. A war reporter, Richard Boyle, who went on to be the co-writer and subject of Oliver Stone's 1986 film, Salvador, and British photographer uh, Tim Page, I just mentioned, and Ron Kovic, the paraplegic anti-war activist whose memoir, Born on the 4th of July, was adapted into an award-winning Oliver Stone film. Uh, Page uh, roomed with Stephens in Berkeley in California and schooled him in photography, and his images are an evocation of a freewheeling hippie lifestyle, camping in Marrakesh, trekking in the forests of Northern California, visiting Stonehenge and music festivals where the North Vietnamese flag was proudly flown. Now, in his early 70s, Stephens finds himself enjoying a second life as an acclaimed photographer, thanks partly to his children, Devon and Kate, setting up an Instagram account for their father and posting two pictures a day from his archive, a process that led to the book that was published in 2015, The Family Acid. Photographer Roger Steffens in Los Angeles on What Does Photography Mean to Me? Photography to me is a way of sharing how I see the world, how I frame it, what I think is worth preserving for those yet to come. I'm so incredibly grateful for all of those earlier shooters who allow me to see pastimes more clearly. Every photo is, indeed, a little Rorschach test for its viewer. At 77, as I look back at a very unpredictable life, I'm forced to admit that I suffer from OCD. For the past 50 of those years, I've never been without a camera at my side. The instinct to document all phases of my life as a reluctant Vietnam draftee, actor, broadcaster, lecturer, editor, and author has been prompted by childhood influences from my mother and Irish grandfather, both of whom were keen historians, introducing me to New York's marvelous museums. So when I landed in Saigon in November of 1967, three months before the Tet Offensive leveled much of the city, I realized that I was in the midst of something historic. During 26 months in country, I shot over 10,000 slides from the DMZ to the Mekong Delta, revealing the human side of Vietnam. I began a refugee program that ultimately raised over a hundred tons of food and clothing and building and medical supplies, and I was ordered to document their distribution for the folks back home. This gave me free film and developing for two years. 
When I returned to the turmoil of the states in 1970, I crisscrossed the country three times lecturing against the war and photographing the tumult of the school strikes following the murders at Jackson and Kent State Colleges, disgusted by the lawless Nixon-Kissinger regime. It was like living in some biblical realm and time, and I continued to shoot the surroundings in intimate detail. But these were pictures just for me, and I considered photography a hobby more than anything else. My career as an actor has put me together with many famous people, so of course I've tried ways to find photographing them in unusual, off-duty ways. As a radio and TV interviewer, I continued to shoot notable subjects, documenting them both orally and visually. Today, I have more than half a million frames in various formats. This led in 2013 to our son Devin spending a year digitizing 40,000 slides shot between 1967 and 1993. Daughter Kate began an Instagram with them in 2014, and we now have over 52,000 followers. She calls it the family acid because she says, when I was growing up, all my friends told me our family was like the Waltons on acid. The site has led to my being represented by a major gallery in New York City and several museum exhibitions, plus four books, including the latest, The Family Acid California, featuring 50 years of California counterculture photos. Another major interest has been Bob Marley and the history of reggae music. My reggae archives fill seven rooms of our house in L.A. and have attracted thousands of people over the years who come to visit and research countless books and documentary films. To keep track of everyone who comes, I photograph them and make notes on their pictures of their names and affiliations so I don't forget them. Photography in these cases becomes a necessary aide-memoir, an indispensable assistant as my skull's hard drive becomes overloaded with info and imagery. As a child, I wanted to be an artist, but evinced no talent in that direction at all. So taking pictures became my way of trying to be creative visually. I did lots of experiments over the years, using rainbow-like nebula filters and other devices to make psychedelic images. Where I really seemed to hit a lick came from acid-inspired, on-purpose, multiple exposures. With SLR cameras, you had to remember precisely where different parts of the initial image fell, so you could superimpose something over it in a precise place. It was really pure luck most of the time. When I ultimately turned to digital in 2005, I was able to see the preceding image or images and use that advantage to my benefit. Living in L.A., I'm surrounded by a constant visual barrage of posters, flyers, billboards, bus benches, sidewalk stencils, murals, and graffiti, glorious ephemera that become even more special because of their fleeting existence. I walk nearly every day looking high and low for emblematic things that many people miss, the camera being my third eye. Being able to share them with the worldwide Instagram audience has been the unexpected icing on the cake. As I ramble through my fourth quarter, I've been given a whole new career thanks to the loving care of my children. So, no pun intended, photography means the world to me. When I hear a voice like that, it really makes me want to give up. But maybe we all bring something uh, to the mediums that we get involved in. I think I bring a certain kind of slapdash approach, which maybe is more about me. Um, but there you go. A real professional there, Roger. 
I, well, I mean, you know, so much to talk about there. The fact that even at his age, he's fully engaged with Instagram, that he every day he's still out there and taking pictures. Interestingly enough, uh, Fred Herzog, who sadly passed uh, a couple of a uh, few weeks ago now, as we discussed on the podcast, exactly the same, you know, going on weekly walks, photographing right until the very end. I, I think also one of the interesting things to me, and we spoke about this again on a previous uh, podcast quite a while ago now, um, which was about that thing of archives and what do you do with an archive? And I actually had given exactly that advice to somebody uh, about creating an Instagram and trying to see if you can build an audience around that Instagram with your archive. And interesting there that Roger uh, has done that or his children have helped him with it, but really given him a second, third, whatever lease of life. I think also what's really interesting from my perspective is just how connected he is with his passions and how they inform his photography. And I suppose really tying in with what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, the importance of history. Just to end up uh, this week, um, I received the first uh, copies of my next book, um, which is called New Ways of Seeing the Democratic Language of Photography. It's published by uh, Bloomsbury Academic and it's available on Amazon. I don't want to make, turn this into too much of an advert, but if you are interested in the subjects and the kind of the approach that we bring to photography on the podcast, the book really is an extension of that. It deals, I suppose, in a way with where I think we are now, how we got here, but perhaps most importantly, where are we going? And it looks at computational photography, the um, movement forward with that kind of what is a camera going to be and how is a camera going to work? And it deals with er elements of narrative as well. It also includes, it's, all, it's a sort of a a, a compendium, I suppose, really, of sort of a bit of a greatest hits of some of the articles I've written previously, or actually I wrote whilst I was writing the book and put up on the website to gauge people's uh, responses so that I could use those responses to inform the way in which I have edited that, those thought processes, and actually produced the finished book, and also new writing, a lot of new writing in there. In a way, it's kind of a riff on John Berger's ways of seeing, and it picks up on a lot of different points that he was talking about, and Marshall McLuhan was talking about as well. Reminds me, actually, we must, uh, must get Marshall McLuhan to sponsor a future episode. Anyway, that's kind of the idea. So where they were talking about the tribal village and the drums of the television, I suppose really where I'm picking up that kind of riff conversation is with the idea of the LED screen and the idea of the photograph as a backlit stained glass window image. Anyway, don't want to spend too much time going uh, on about that, but if you are interested in that book, as I say, it's available on Amazon and it's available, if you don't want to buy it from those guys, then uh, it's available from the Bloomsbury um, 
website and I suppose also and I hope from all good independent uh, booksellers Uh, that book's taken um, two years to get to this point so it's always nice when you actually hold the printed thing in your hand I should also say it features 70 images taken by me uh, on a phone which are deliberately um, there not to be judged as great photography they're very much part of the dialogue so I hope you think that works as well Anyway, interesting, I hope you agree, uh, episode this week. I loved having Roger's um, contribution to the the podcast. And um, I suppose, really, uh, this week has just been uh, World um, Wellbeing Day, Mental Health Day. And it's a subject that keeps cropping up. So uh, I'm just going to say to you this week, take care. (laughs) 